1: It's Tuesday, September 26, 2023, from Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. The U.S. is formally establishing diplomatic relations with two island nations in an attempt to counter Chinese aggression in the Pacific. One is the Cook Islands, a far-flung group of nations far off the coast of New Zealand, named for Captain Cook, home to 15,000 people. As for the other... I have to admit that, like the United States itself, until yesterday, I did not recognize Nua. That is how it's pronounced. N-I-U-E, Nua. I first looked it up with a computer pronunciation. Nue. And then I said, all right, how about a lady computer pronunciation? Nua. No, I think that's definitely wrong. Let's just get an actual Nuaian To pronounce it. New Wave. So I assume that's where all the New Wave music came from, but I could be wrong. It's a nation of 1,689 people, according to last year's census. It's about 800 miles off the coast of Fiji, if that helps. The president of New Wave is Dalton Tagalagi, and he won office by a vote of 13 to 7. Uh, that's a little misleading. The vote is just of parliament, but the vote is just among the members of the Legislative Assembly. But those 13 parliamentarians each represented about 1% of the overall voting age population. Tagalogi was elected to his district with a whopping 51% of the vote, or 108 votes. The demonym for Nueans and the language Nuean is Nuean. N. I-U-E-A-N. nuean That is a six-letter word consisting of an N at the front and back and then all vowels in the middle. Six different vowels. Now, if it's any six-letter word with four vowels you're looking for, you can yell, Eureka, you found one from anywhere from ukulele to toupee to Eureka. But if I say no, we're looking for a six-letter word, four vowels, but the non-vowels all have to be the same letter. Well, doo doo, that narrows the field. But I said, no, 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 no. Looking for a six letter word, four vowels. The vowels have to be different and the consonant has to be the same. It's not a utopia out there given those parameters. Nuean was all I could find. And now the Nueans find themselves on the list of recognized countries. And not just by the United States, but I hope by you, the listener of the gist. On the show today is Kamala Harris, the future of the Democratic Party and other impossible-to-answer questions as asked on the Sunday shows. And I should mention, I'm going to tell you what's coming on in this show today. But first, let me talk about an event that I'm doing on Friday, September 29th, it's in Rutherford, New Jersey, and I shall be interviewed by comedian Lou Perez. He has a show called The Wrong Take with Lou Perez. This topic is cancel culture. It goes from 8 to 9.30. If you're in the vicinity of Rutherford, New Jersey, the purchase of your ticket will not go to me, but will go for 100 and one-year-old theater, and for Lou's ongoing efforts. We talk about cancel culture for an hour and a half, and I'd uh, love to say hi to you afterwards. To find out more, check out the show notes about this Friday's event. But first, Jenk Yuger is a political commentator, who's been arguing on behalf of the populist left for decades. He had a show on MSNBC. He's the founder of The Young Turks. He's co-founder of The Justice Democrats. And he's out with a new book, Justice is Coming. Needless to say, I have many questions for him. Cenk Uger, up next.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Jenk Uger is the host and CEO of the Young Turks. He's the founder of the Justice Democrats. He has a pack. He's run for office. He's out with the line of dessert toppings, apparently. But most importantly to us, his new book is called Justice is Coming, how progressives are going to take over the country and America is going to love it. Hey, Jenk, welcome to The Gist.
2: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's start with this. What is the biggest area of progressive orthodoxy or the platform that you disagree with
2: oh interesting yeah there's tons uh so at tyt we got a lot of independent thinkers and uh that includes me so these days i have these microscopic differences on uh, uh trans issues that people have taken uh enormously uh personally um so uh, for example, I think that uh, trans girls should be allowed to play in high school sports, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the professional leagues should get to make their own decisions, and I'm okay if they decide to exclude them.
1: What about earning, not that this is the most important, but just out of curiosity, what about college scholarships? That's a tough one, right?
2: Yeah, it's a tough one, and I'd probably leave it up to the colleges. Um and so, if they went in either direction, I wouldn't be mad at all. Like, if you want to give scholarships to trans women, that's wonderful. If you don't, I get it. Uh, some. And since then, of course, as usual, we've been proven right. Some woman, uh, trans woman, uh, broke the Canadian record by like two hundred pounds in weightlifting, uh, etc. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's what matters is that, unfortunately, now, now you got me started uh, on on the left sometimes even microscopic differences are not allowed uh, in some people's minds and they view it as heresy and if you disagree with me two percent then you're a nazi right and i think that it is incredibly damaging uh, it rips the left apart on and it, i just gave one example but you give a hundred examples and uh and and that's part of what i'm trying to get past We're on the precipice of victory. I know it doesn't look like it at all, but I explain in the book how it is actually nearly inevitable. But the only way we could screw it up is by destroying each other. And that's what the left usually does.
1: What about the left gives in to the tyranny of small differences, do you think? Why is it so destructive? I mean, you know, if I was interviewing someone from Heritage, they might have a similar tale about that they, you know, had a different idea about tax brackets or prison. You know, there are differences there. But it does seem like whole movements are undone. I'll give you an example. The the black lives matter protests didn't have a that's a great slogan it didn't have a perfectly coherent ask and one of the reasons was this tension between quote abolitionists and quote reformers and i think it did get in the way of some progress but to go back to my original what about the structure of leftist causes makes it so vulnerable to this phenomenon
2: Well, uh, there's two uh, things that that combine to create a toxic stew, which is uh, an allergic reaction to anyone leading uh, and a toxic case of envy. So Mm -hmm. the minute anyone leads, everyone on the left despises them. And on the right, the minute someone leads, everybody loves them. And, and, And it doesn't matter if they're saying things that are true or untrue. Yeah. And uh, the left
1: falls in love. The right falls in line. That's the old. Yeah. Line. yeah. And,
2: and if you've got somebody who's headed in the right direction, um, they're not going to have an easy go of it on the left. They're just not. It doesn't doesn't matter if they're right. It's funny because it doesn't matter if they're right on the right or the left. On the right, they're like, we don't care that you're not right. God bless. As long as you're leading, I'm bowing. Right. And on the left, they go, I don't care if you actually are right. You're leading, so I am not following. Okay. So there, are, I think there are a couple exceptions to this.
1: Although you know, AOC is so popular, she gets some criticism. I read Freddie DeBoer criticizing her for her stance on the uh, negotiations with the railroads. But okay, she seems to be very popular, and you guys were on her early. And I do think Bernie Sanders, to a large extent, transcends that critique. Do you agree? And what about them?
2: Yeah, Bernie does or definitely did in 2016, but they started picking him apart a little bit in 2020 and it hurt him, uh, to be honest. I think that that was not the main reason that he lost in 2020 by a long stretch. I think corporate media was number one reason and his unwillingness to uh, make a case against his opponents is the number two reason. And number three was, well, you're not being militant enough on – Muslim rights, black rights, gay rights, et cetera, and you need to be two hundred percent left on those, and then it lost his populist edge a tiny bit when he did that. But uh, but overall, yeah, they listen to Bernie, and and to this day, a lot of folks uh, trust and respect Bernie, et cetera. And but he has a certain um, lack of ego that seems obvious, and I think that's what um, puts the left's guard down right? The minute they sense any 2% ego, they send howitzers you're right, right? Huh. So huh. on AOC, it's been a mixed bag. We had people attack her in the beginning when she hadn't even done anything yet. And uh, so Biden's term starts and instantly tons of attacks. And I'm like, guys, it's day one. What are you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, filing impeachment against Biden on day one? Like, what, he, they haven't done anything yet, right? But... um. At the same time, uh, they wound up not doing much. Uh, So then I thought there was some legitimate criticism, et cetera. But um, one last example. I was at Occupy Wall Street, and um, and I was just observing there as a reporter. But since they trusted me, they let me into their uh, decision-making committee, right? And what I saw was they were uh, being asked to go on TV to make their case. And anyone who stepped up to say, yes, I'll do it, they tore down. And said, you will not do it. And then at the end, they couldn't agree on who should get the glory without saying that at all, right? But that's exactly what they were thinking. And uh, and so none of them went on TV. And then everybody was like, what the hell is Occupy about? And they never got the message out because they just could not stomach one of their own getting slightly more famous than the others. And it was just yeah. heartbreaking to watch.
1: During the Occupy movement, there was mockery within the leaders or uh, membership of the ask the demand for demands oh you want demands they would mock the idea that demands be asked of them and i didn't really understand it and then post-occupy it was written as i think you know a post-hoc rationalization well what we did was we got the idea of the 99 across and you know maybe you did how useful is that idea just looking at the pure economics and thomas Piketty and facts, people are going to say, wow, there's a m- massive amount of income inequality. And also is the 99% really the most useful? Isn't it the 0.1% more than the 1% that is really, you know, skewing the economic scene of the country. So yeah, I totally agree with you about Occupy.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm sitting there, I'm, I didn't say anything cause I'm sitting there as an observer, uh, and not a participant, but I was ripping my hair out. Somebody go on TV and tell them why you're doing this. They have no idea why you're doing this here. I'm like, I thought to myself, should I suggest just a random lottery? Like one of, pick a number, pick a number and I'll have, have a number in my head. You random person, Go and tell them why you're doing this. Tell them that h- how the Wall Street has unfair advantages and the subsidies and they're taking our taxpayer money and, and, and the system is broken and the politicians are paid off by Wall Street and the corporations. Please, please tell them. And they wouldn't do it because of ego and envy.
1: So this dynamic... I know that you come to leftist causes because you've looked at the issues and you've made rational decisions. Uh, You've studied them. You're policy driven. But do you think that it's something after you see this time and time again, the left just uh, eating itself? Do you think that there's something that's it's not a bug? There's something baked into leftist causes that has a self-destruct button. Maybe it has something to do with, you know, the left. Um broadly speaking, wants more radical change. And maybe the thing that's driving the psychology of a lot of people is a deep unhappiness with the present, not because of rational reasons, but because of whatever psychological reasons. And so I don't know what percentage of the left that is. And those people might not even know what's driving them psychologically. They might say, oh, it's about the lack of health care. And it might be about the lack of health care. But my point is, do you question, you know, it's very hard with this coalition of people who are at least to some extent, being driven by a psychology that is incompatible with actual progress?
2: Well, so I think that the left breaks down into three categories these days. And so, and they're all very different. So let's be clear about who we're talking about. So, uh, the people that we've been talking about right now, um, I, I would characterize as either the Twitter left or the toxic left um, and maximalist left that. Uh, and another good example is they say, if you want to do uh, reform, you have to abolish prisons. No, that, that no, no, that's cr- like crazy talk. And the fact yes, that you don't is. know that that's crazy talk shows you how detached from reality you are.
1: Yeah. Uh, And on the show the other day, I did this whole thing about this guy who escaped in Philadelphia. And I'm like, uh, I imagined what an abolished prison shows coverage of that guy would be (laughs) this this, this brave brave soul who struck out against the system. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, and then there's the Washington left that unfortunately almost all of our politicians are in and all the uh, interest groups are in. And they, they're not that different from the establishment these days, unfortunately. They're not very representative of the left. They got co-opted by Washington, in my opinion. And they're doing very standard, boring, non-change, uh, I'm in power, I'm in status, I'm awesome, uh, I, and I forgot about you stuff. But the actual great, great majority of the left, the one that I wrote the book for, the one that, that uh, is actually going to take over the country, is the people. It's two-thirds of Americans that are on the left. And so I prove it definitively, and not just on the left, but on the progressive side of the left. Um, in in chapter one of my book, it's not arguable. Every issue, every issue, two-thirds, at least two-thirds of the country is progressive. So the problem is they don't have a leader who will fight for those common-sense positions that are not corporate-friendly but that are, like, citizen-friendly in Washington. The minute they go to Washington they get zombified and uh, and they they stop fighting and then, minute they go on social media they get zombified in the opposite direction and fight over microscopic differences
1: so i want to get to a, a related point to the one i made about joe manchin that corruption is the main explanation you also cite corruption as the main explanation for why so many uh gun bills die so many laws uh, about gun control. And you cite, and this is correct, numbers in the 90s, maybe high 80s, maybe well into the 90s, about background checks. And federally, we can't even get a decent background check bill passed. And you say it's because of corruption. However, I think that the reality is more complicated. And if you look at, you know, it's not as if that would be a good argument maybe when that the obama bill passed in 2014 but the nra's power has declined so much the anti-gun groups like every town for gun safety and the giffords organization spend more than the nra on advertising so corruption and just doing it for the money is a much less apt explanation for i think the lack of gun control what do you
2: think so mike you picked a good topic because um there that's a topic where conservatives have rare like a little bit of the population behind them where it's not completely fictional not completely made up like for example republicans for a long time said oh uh, the republican voters and conservative voters Love free trade. They love these trade yes. agreements where corporations get everything and you get nothing and your job right. is shipped out. And and the estate tax is another one. Oh, yeah, the average American right. loves the yeah. estate tax that affects people making – that leave like $10 million behind, right? Mm-hmm. So it was always lies and mainstream media always helped their lies and 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 pretended that it was moderate positions, et cetera, et cetera. But on guns, they actually do have at least a third of the country on their side. But it's also a great example because it shows you – wait a minute, though. On universal background checks, as you pointed out, Mike, and as I point out in the book, it's – they post anywhere between 88 to 97%. So if 97% of the country is in favor of it, which includes the overwhelming majority of Republicans, overwhelming majority of NRA members, overwhelming majority of gun owners, and you're not doing that, it's a layup. Why won't – Republicans will look reasonable – the media actually doesn't, likes, media likes gun control. Uh, it's complicated why I could explain, it, but it's uh, not important for this discussion. And, and so it's a layup to do universal background checks. But they won't because Republicans get funded by the NRA, which gets funded by gun manufacturers. So in that case, it's not the Democrats. It used to be the Democrats. They would also take money from the NRA. But that became politically toxic. And you're right, the gun control guys started out-raising the NRA, but they but they give to Democrats. So the Democrats are now entrenched for gun control, and the Republicans are entrenched against gun control. But it is not based on, hey, assault weapons, uh, banning assault weapons, polls at 60%, taking away guns, polls at 40%, and background checks, polls at 95%. No, it's based on the money and only the money.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, There's another area where you paint the public as being very much in favor of the policy, which is the Green New Deal. And this was based on a lot of uh, initial polling. I I went back and read the poll that even indicated that 64% of Republicans support the Green New Deal. It should be said that's before the cost of the Green New Deal gets communicated to voters. And when the Kaiser Family Health Foundation did a poll where they said, what if we told you that it costs... Uh, however many trillion it's estimated to cost then it becomes much less popular so we don't really have time to get into it uh, all the details of that but let's try to just get some sh- shared stipulation you say the green new deal is enormously popular i say the green new deal is somewhat popular among democrats not among republicans but it was kind of more dead on arrival than its popularity would indicate would you say that's fair
2: yeah, I think its popularity is complicated. It was overwhelmingly popular in the beginning, and then uh, mainstream media went to assassinate it, and they ran two thousand things against it, and then and then it became complicated. But you're right; it's overall I'll stipulate to what you're saying. There's plenty of nuance, though.
1: Right. So here are three examples where, as I read it, I think all of these explanations are more complicated. We got into the Joe Manchin thing. We got into the gun control thing. The Green New Deal is not uh, as popular as initial polling of 64% of Republicans supporting it. But if you think, if one were to think that it is corruption, corruption all the way down, or maybe the mainstream media aligning against the truth, I could see why one would come to something like your politics. I see other explanations and more nuance and I think better explanations. And therefore, I don't share your policy prescriptions. Do you think that coming to the politics you have depends on the fundamental belief that there is no other good explanations for why people disagree with you or why these bills can't get passed?
2: Yeah, I'm absolutely positive, and I think I proved the case in the book. And and the reason is, if we didn't have 1938 to 1978 in this exact country, not in Peru or Botswana, but here, then I could say, well, I can see what you're saying. We've never lived in that uh, fantastical land where uh, progressives can win without corporate media destroying everything uh, that we, you know, that we're arguing for, and without corruption uh, uh, buying off every politician. But we did live here, and it did happen. 1938 to 78, economic populism worked. It created the greatest middle class the world has ever seen. Social Security, Medicare, EPA, OSHA, all the programs that we love. Why? Because bribery started in 1978 when the Supreme Court made it legal. Once you start bribery, it's over they're gonna bribe everyone and they're gonna control everything and that's exactly what happened but for 40 magical years we had real democracy in this country and it worked better than anything has ever worked on planet earth right with the caveat that we weren't
1: an actual democracy until the civil rights law was passed in 64
2: yeah and that's why i say it's economic issues i'm not trying to pretend that it was kumbaya on social issues but on economic issues it was real democracy populist and incredibly popular
1: we've made such enormous gains in terms of health and lifespan and technology since then a uh conservative would say that's because of the free market i guess your contention is if we had the electioneering laws of the 60s we'd make even more gains
2: oh 100%. So as you as you heard earlier, I'm not against the free market. I like the free market. Uh but the free market isn't free if all of your politicians take bribes from corporations. And it's look, it's inarguable, Mike. You know it's inarguable. Sheldon Adelson gave uh Trump 100 million dollars twice and then got every single thing on his wish list that is nothing but a bribe but by the way when exxon Mobil gives a hundred million dollars to all of the politicians combined that is also a bribe they don't care about the general welfare they just say do as you're told you little servants and the politicians run and do exactly as they're told and you cannot find a sliver of difference between corporate donors and the politicians that they fund. Their i quote unquote ideology is identical.
1: Jen Huger is the host, founder, and CEO of the Young Turks, the founder of the Justice Democrats, the author of Justice Is Coming, How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country and America is going to love it. Jenk, great talking to you. Thank you, Mike. So at this point, you may be saying, Wow, I wish Mike would have asked Jenk about, I don't know, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, Chantal Brown. I wonder if it would get feisty I did ask and it did get feisty and so I give all of that to our pesca plus subscribers each week we have extended interviews and conversations for people who subscribe to pesca plus you also get an ad free show and remember I promised we're going to do a trivia night we are how's October 30th for you let me know that is just one of the many benefits for signing up at subscribe.mikepesca.com. This week you'll hear more of Jenk. In a couple weeks, we'll have it out on the Trivia Battlefield Pesca Plus subscribers. So go to subscribe.mikepesca.com to join. And now the spiel. Last week, I discussed Kristen Welker's inaugural interview as host of Meet the Press. Her guest for the entire show was a Florida-based businessman of some repute. The interview did not go well, judged against the standards of was everything true and were the interviewer's questions actually engaged with. If, instead, the standards were... What's the best that most human beings can do with said Florida-based former elected official? I'd say, yeah, okay, we got some news, we got his views, what are you supposed to do? The answer is not interview the Floridian who is now in some legal trouble. Don't interview him, don't platform him, and then when he becomes president, continue not to platform him. Perhaps at that point, you'll lose the idea of object permanence and can actually achieve a blissful state of belief that when you close your eyes, what you're not seeing has actually ceased to exist. Anyway, that was last week that was all my defense of Kristen Welker this week Welker has gotten as far as I could see no criticism for a line of reasoning she engaged in which I have to say deserves criticism In interviewing Chris Christie, a former New Jersey-based Bruce Springsteen enthusiast, Welker asked if the prosecution of Democratic Senator Robert Menendez, also Jersey-based, was something more than the government plucking the extremely low fruit of a senator with wads of cash, gold bars, and a statuesque new wife with business dealings with an Iranian national who facilitated secret workings with the government of Egypt. Here's Welker's question.
0: Let's move on to Senator Menendez. Do you think his indictment undercuts the Republican argument that there are two tiers of justice in this country?
1: Before I play Christie's answer, let's stipulate that. If the Department of Justice has a unit named the Public Corruption Unit, you would have to dismantle that unit or rename it if you don't bring a case against Bob Menendez here. Bob Menendez is a Democrat, yes, but also a serially indicted walking bribery repository, which has a lot more to do with why prosecutors are prosecuting, i.e. his actions are eminently clearly prosecutable. The flabby question that Welker asked allowed Christie to bat it away more easily than he would a Marco
2: Rubio soundbite. I do not believe the whole Department of Justice has done things that were wrong. I believe what David Weiss did in Delaware was wrong with Hunter Biden, and it gave people the sense that there were two tiers of justice.
1: Now, okay, you're saying, eh, maybe this is one of those times where there are just so many people saying that, why not put it to a newsmaker, right? Maybe he rebuts, maybe plays with the idea of the two-tier justice system. It's kind of the host's duty to presented to someone who has proffered that very theory. But that's not going on here. I saw no one of prominence saying, how's your 2 tier justice system now, even in our polarized age, which rewards uncritical in-group boosterism. That is such a lame point. Even the most lame bloviators were not making it. Okay, so... Maybe Welker was under the impression that this was some common argument and she was wrong. She got that one wrong. But, you know, that doesn't mean that Welker actually thought it was a good argument to say that the indictment really did undercut Republican allegations of a two-tiered justice system. But Welker seems to really believe it is a good argument. Here's how she set up last Sunday's show.
0: The indictment appears to undercut Republican allegations of a two-tiered system of justice. (sighs) Ugh.
1: Alright, well, you know what? Maybe I'm sexist. I'm picking on the female host of a Sunday show. Only last week, all the Sunday shows were hosted by women, except for Foxes, which normally is hosted by Shannon Bream. No one, none of the other hosts thought that that was the two-tier justice system point was a good point to make. Maybe it's me being, not picking on, but just being so picky, just being so needlesome. I don't think so. It wasn't just this. Welker displayed the usually inexplicable obsession that the Sunday show hosts have with getting politicians to state their ambitions for future office. And when they say, no, I'm not going to run, follow up with, do you deny it? Do you rule it out? Do you categorically deny it? There are so many elements to week two that were just basic. Not basic as in who, what, where, when, why, but basic, ya yeah, basic, like the obsession with are you running for office, will you rule it out, or asking meaningless, unanswerable questions in a seemingly tough way.
0: All right, well, let's turn to Vice President Harris. Do you see her as the future of the Democratic Party?
2: I see her as a part of that future, absolutely. Is I she see her. the
0: future, though? Is she the future of the
2: Democratic Party? Oh, she could very well be.
1: What the hell does that mean? She gets the expected answer from a meaningless question to Representative Jim Clyburn, and then she aggressively presses him with the same unanswerable question. Is Welker saying, do you mean Kamala Harris will be the next Democratic nominee for president? Is what she means, should Harris replace him on the top of the ticket? I mean, I believe children are the future. I don't know about Kamala Harris. It's the appearance of toughness. But it's really just like pressing someone's face against a brick wall by using undercooked tofu. Welker asked so many questions where the answer would only be dismissive confusion.
0: As we sit here today, do you think the government will shut down? Is it a foregone conclusion at this point?
1: Well, of course it's not a foregone conclusion. Why would anyone say it's a foregone conclusion? And then Welker followed up with the seemingly tough, don't Democrats bear some responsibility for this possibility? No, no, they don't. Why do they have responsibility? The entire Democratic caucus would vote against the shutdown. Much of the Republican caucus would, too. You know, Welger's been a really good guest host. She definitely has it in her to be a fine host for Meet the Press. I just think, maybe after week one, someone got in her ear about challenging guests and demanding an answer to the question. But the question has to be good and answerable. But there's room for growth. How? Well... I think the answer in this case is the same as the answer with the auto workers or even the answer with how do we keep the government open? The answer is time and also the lack of Matt Gates. That's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is CLO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Peru Jeeperu, and thanks for listening.